Hey, everyone. We're going to start out a little differently today. I am so excited to announce that Sawyer Products is sponsoring this episode. You're probably familiar with Sawyer as the maker of everyone's favorite water filter, the Sawyer Squeeze. But did you know that they also make a picaridin-based insect repellent? Why is this important? Have I mentioned that turning 50 comes with some kickers? One of which is a new allergy to DEET, which I discovered while in the Philippines. Picaridin saved my life. Sawyer makes a 20% picaridin repellent that is as effective at repelling mosquitoes, flies, gnats, chiggers, and ticks as 100% DEET, but won't damage plastics or synthetic coatings. Because it's derived from pepper plants, it's family-friendly and safe for 50-year-olds with allergies. You're getting protection from Zika, West Nile virus, dengue and yellow fever, and probably most importantly, Lyme disease. And for more protection, you can add Sawyer's permethrin spray to your gear and clothing, which will also help repel and kill the little boogers. Look, I listen to your tortured insect stories from the trails. I don't know about you, but when we all can finally leave our houses again, I want to be as protected as possible and ready for some adventure. You know, you have those ideas and you're like, okay, I'll get to it one day. But sometimes it takes an event, an experience, or even kind of just dissatisfaction with your life to say to yourself, okay, I'm going to make a change. I'm, I am going to go do this thing that absolutely terrifies me that I have had sitting in the back of my mind for a while. It's, it's time to go do it. And I definitely had a couple of factors that led to it, you know, external factors. So my mom got sick and that was kind of very eye-opening for my family, you know. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, brainstorming PCT hiking strategies for when we're released. And this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. A year ago, almost to the day, Tip Tap, known off trail as Elena Osborne, arrived at the Mexican border, faced north, and started walking. 137 days later, she tagged the Canadian border. She then made this little video, It Is The People, that so perfectly captures the experience, it went a little viral. In this episode, we jump into the making of the videos, finding your people, embracing the discomfort, and the power of peanut butter. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with TipTap. Good morning. Good morning. How is Hello. it tomorrow? <laughs> yes. Yes, it's Saturday night there for you, right? Uh, Saturday morning, actually. Oh, really? Jeez. Wait, where are you? Los Angeles. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's hilarious. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in March. You're in February still, right? Wow. When you say it that way, it sounds like you're way in the future. <laughs> oh. How are you this morning? 
Um, yeah, I'm actually good. Um, I was like, I was right. I was like, am I going to have serious morning voice when I talk to you? <laughs> um, but no, I'm doing pretty good. I woke up and I'm up and I'm drunk some coffee. So I'm pretty good. How are you? This Saturday morning. I'm good. I went out. I, since we're 21 hours behind you, I've mm-hmm. gone out and I've, uh, run along the beach and. <laughs> Oh my god, amazing. Oh, do you live really close to the beach? Um, I do. I live in Hermosa Beach, actually. Oh. I don't think I've been there, but sounds nice. Essentially just south of the airport. Oh, okay. Yep. So right along that same area. Ah. Do you know it's so funny hearing your voice because um I've been listening like to a couple of the episodes, so mm-hmm. it's just like it's really it's cool to hear your voice. After hearing it on the podcast, you know, like it's a real person behind the podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I feel a little bit the same way, having now watched all of your videos, and you know, there's a real person behind the video. Yeah, yeah, a live person. And you're starting the trail this year, right? Yeah, in a little over a month. (gasps) Oh my god, that's kind of how I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I remember. I remember. <laughs> you know, I have to I have to say just right up front, your your first video, the the one it's the people video. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what the response was that you got from everybody, but it seemed to go a little viral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah, I guess so, definitely. I mean, I've never had a video have that many people watch it so it definitely felt that way um a lot of it of course online so it's really hard to translate that feeling you know from online to kind of in person but yeah it was very well responded to which was so overwhelming and so heartwarming you know to receive a lot of messages from people so yeah that was exciting it was pretty funny it literally i mean and grant you the the through hiking community is small but (laughs) Mm-hmm, yeah, but it was sort of like everywhere I turned, people were referencing it or saying, "Oh my god, I love this video," or I showed it to my family to make them feel more comfortable. Or, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I definitely got some of those messages. But it's funny because, yeah, you feel—I mean, I feel so like a little bit disconnected, maybe because it's being on the other side of the world. You don't feel it as much, but no, those messages were just. Really incredible to receive. Has the rest of your videos also kind of gotten a lot of response and uh, people, uh, I guess, love, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, in the small through hiking community, people, you know, we just love to see those kinds of videos, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think within the community, people are watching it. And I continuing to enjoy it, which is nice for me because it means it gives me motivation to keep working on them. <laughs> That's right. You have to get to you have to get to Canada still. Yeah, yeah. I'm not far away. I'm not far off now, but I've definitely gone through periods of feeling like, okay, I am definitely over editing these videos. Um yeah, so it's it's nice to see that people are responding to it and enjoying it. So it keeps me going and go, 
feeling like, okay, I've got to finish this, not just for myself, but, you know, for other people who are enjoying watching it. Or I should just stop right now and just never get to Canada and um, <laughs> leave people hanging. Um, just stop at Lake Chelan and be done with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you never leave the house. Yeah. <laughs> How long does it take you to edit a video or put it, yeah, put it together, I guess? I think it kind of ranges. At the beginning, it was a lot harder because I was still going through all my footage and figuring out how am I going to tell the story. Um, so it definitely varies. I think oh, right now, so I've gone back to working um, a nine-to-five job. So I'm kind Bummer. of editing. Yeah, it's, it is my soul is slowly but surely dying um no so it's not it's not too bad but um definitely temporary temporary so right now I'm kind of I go to work and then I come home and then I'll work on my own video (laughs) put like an hour in or so and then um over the weekends that's when I'll kind of dive in so currently it's taking me over the course of two weeks to finish a video but when I was just working on it by myself, I could, it'd be less than a week, um, to finish a video, you know, a couple, maybe four intensive days or so really depending. What is it that you do in your normal nine to five job? Mm. Um, so right now I'm in a digital marketing role. Um, so a lot of it is kind of, um, yeah, focusing on creating content for, the specific company and um, delivering that content essentially my past roles have all been around uh, video content creation so this role is a little bit different because it focuses more on the delivery of it which I have always focused on actually just creating content Um, (laughs) but yeah so it's kind of a cool and interesting change for me but um, I've managed to always swing it that I'm creating videos, which is my passion. <laughs> I was going to say your your videos are too polished to be just you jumping in for the first time ever. Yeah, oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah, I do have experience. You know, I went yeah. to uh, university and studied communications, so you don't really come out with all the skills of video content creation. But I did major in video production, um, so it's always kind of been that passion for me and then I managed to kind of find roles where I could continue practicing that craft and yeah develop my skills yeah no you you tell a good story (laughs) thank you what's the what's the intent to do the videos when you did the hike or did it sort of come Um, out of doing the hike you mean kind of create a series of videos or um, like a finished pro- product? I guess so. Like, I mean, you went, you did go into the hike with a nice camera and the Osmo Pocket. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, so you had your luxury items were heavy, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so did you go into it with those things because you knew at the end of the day you wanted to put together the videos or, did as you started to do the hike and you started to get video and kind of see what you got, you started to feel a story coming out of it. Mm, okay. Yeah. So I, no, I did go in wanting to create something. I think when, 
because the camera, a camera is such an extension of me and I love capturing and telling stories. So I knew quite naturally I was going to want to film something and capture it. I didn't know what exactly I was going to create, but I also had read um, Pacific Crest Trials and, you know, read all about kind of post-trial grief or post-trial depression and how, you know, retransitioning back into or reintegrating back into regular society is quite a challenge. And I really wanted something to work on after trail that gave me a purpose and left me feeling still connected to the trail. Um, And I thought the perfect way was a project like a video. So I definitely went in with that mindset. I didn't know what I was going to create. I thought maybe I'll create some um, shorter videos like a series and have one longer video. Um, that was an idea. But then as soon as I got on trail, I was like, oh, I don't really know what I'm going to make. I But I knew that I wanted to make just at least one kind of video that encapsulated my whole experience. How many hours of video did you end up with by the time you were finished? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> many, many hours. The amount of gigs of footage as, as well is pretty... Um, insane. I couldn't actually give you a number right now, but it was many hours. <laughs> Just think of it as a lot. Yes, yes. It took me a while to go through it all. And um, yeah, a, a lot of hours are put in to wa- rewatch those hours. <laughs> Did it make the trail feel closer when you were just sort of going through and, and trying to figure out what you had? Yeah, I mean, it was you're kind of reliving your experience in a way and it's kind of bizarre straight after trail going into it because you almost don't want to look back just yet but it was also yeah a really nice experience to go back through and relive and rewatch and yeah still feel connected to the experience and realize like okay that wasn't just a dream that did happen. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, it was, it was cool to go back through. Did that help with the post-trail depression? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think straight after trail, I didn't feel it so much. It was more maybe two months after where I was really feeling, I guess, disconnected from it again, but having that to work on and still feel connected to it in some way really helped. I think that's the main thing. You know, you come away from this incredible experience and it it, it does almost feel like a dream. You're just like, did I actually do that? Um, So seeing that and kind of going back through the footage and seeing and realizing, yes, I did do it. (laughs) You're not, you're not going crazy. Um, (laughs) You know, it, no, it, it definitely helped. It's so funny. I am constantly reminded of how small the through hiking community is. Because when I, when I saw even your first video when you were doing people's trail names and Eleven mm-hmm. was there. Mm-hmm. And yep. I had spoken with her um, when she did the, after she did the AT. And I was just oh, like, yeah. oh my God, it's so small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I'd heard about her doing a podcast. I had no idea which one she'd done. And then I was looking back and I was like, oh, this is the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Oh, 11. (laughs) (laughs) She's a character. Hi, 11. I hope you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) She is a character. I I did want to actually 
circle back up with her and see if I could get her to talk about her PCT experience. Yeah, you should 100%. You, I guess, speaking of 11 and speaking of the whole trail family type of thing or tramley type of thing, Mm. you had kind of two tramleys while you were out there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I started, uh, April 25th and I met a guy called Irish. Um, and we got along really well. Um, and there were a couple others around and we kind of, yeah, just hiked together. Our trail family kind of grew and fluctuated over the course of the desert and the Sierra and expanded. And we, I ended up hiking with another guy called Lucy for a while. Um, so the three of us stuck together for a while, but I had literally hiked with Irish from day one up until past Sierra city. So every day we'd hike together and we'd actually camped at the same place every night (laughs) past Sierra city as well, which was insane. I remember the first night I didn't camp with him and I was like, Whoa, whoa, like it's missing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. like there's something off. You know, his voice wasn't around. He wasn't talking talking about his cold soak jar. Um, so, yeah, that was – so that was like the first half of my experience. So it was a smaller group that kind of fluctuated but with kind of a, a core of two to three. And then, yeah, it was Sierra City where I actually met the blob as <laughs> we ended up calling ourselves, which – I know some people don't like that name within the group, but it, that's what it became because it kind of people were absorbed into it and then kind of stuck around or didn't and were just this big, yeah, group. Um, but I met them in Sierra City and this big group rolls into town. And I we hadn't seen hikers for, oh gosh, it, it felt like we hadn't seen many people on the trail for a while. Then we get to Sierra City where there's a time cutoff to get to the post office. And suddenly the whole town is just flooded with <laughs> hikers. And I'm just like, where were all these people? There were at least, I, I feel like there were like 50 people and or more in town that day. And it just, the whole, yeah, a lot of hikers. Um, <laughs> it's like they came out of the hills. Yeah, yeah, just like you know, running in and sweating. And this massive group comes in, except I didn't realize they were a big group together. I just saw this rush of people arrive. And um, I remember seeing Fiddle with the dreads and I was like, whoa, cool hair. (laughs) And um, seeing just, yeah, this big group roll in and then realizing they were a big group that were all together. And I was super intimidated to begin. Mm -hmm. I was like, whoa, must be quick. You know, they're, they're really rolling in. Little did I know that 11 and Fiddle, which I found out way later, because I was ahead of them, you know, it's quite natural to follow someone on social media who's ahead of you on the trail to kind of see, okay, what's the Sierra looking like? And um, they'd been following me, so they knew that they were getting close. (laughs) Like they were stalking you. Yeah, I I mean, it's hilarious. I got told the story about 11. Um, She'd been like talking to others like oh my god there she is I, I really I have to introduce myself I have to I have to go um and I remember just being um 11 approaching me and just speaking kind of a mile a minute just mm-hmm. saying hi I'm 11 um I'm so excited to meet you um I've been following your journey <laughs> she's gonna be so embarrassed I'm telling the story but um anyway it was just this hilarious encounter and I thought she was really nice and I was like well cool um friends and um <laughs> So, yeah, I just kind of talked to them around Sierra City. And after that, 
um, quite naturally our groups were moving the same pace and I realized that, well, I, I really like these people. Um, I'd love to continue hiking with them. And so from there, just, yeah, kept going with them. Because you had two of your group kind of peel off. Yeah, yeah. So um, Irish and Lucy had decided they wanted to slow down a little bit. Irish had also had his um, uncle and his cousin coming out. So he wanted to go hike with them for a little bit. But yeah, I think that was the thing. They wanted to slow down a little bit. A little bit. And then from my group, there were two others that joined the blob. So three of us kind of went into the blob and we joined this big trail family. And I mean, from your videos, it looks like the blob was a little unique in so much as people really hiked together, as opposed to they would meet up at lunch and they'd meet up at the end of the day or or camp together kind of a thing. Yeah, I think that's more my editing, um, (laughs) because that was no, not indicative of at all of um, what the hiking was like. It was definitely um, meet up at water spots or lunches. The times I filmed were the times where we were deliberately saying, let's do a conga line, which was probably the times we did conga, maybe we did a conga line three times total, and I filmed all of them. So I guess it looks a like we hiked together a lot more than we actually did um, because a lot of it was just 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 solo, just going. <laughs> was that what you were expecting when you started the PCT, the solo hiking, hours upon hours of solo hiking? Um, I didn't really have expectations on, yeah, solo versus with others I kind of I knew that there were quite a few people who did the trail but I didn't know what it would look like day to day I think yeah I had a bell a mix of thinking okay I'd be by myself a lot or I'd make friends and kind of hike with them um which I guess it kind of ended up being like because <laughs> you started out as a solo hiker I guess Mm. stepping back Mm -hmm. from that were you expecting to at some point find your people and then hike with them or or just keep going or just yeah keep going kind of a solo and and float in and out of bubbles yeah it's funny because when I get asked you know did you start solo I'm like yes I did I did start solo but I also started with 30 other people who were dropped off yes. by Scout and Frodo. <laughs> so I don't, it didn't feel like I started solo because um, there were a massive group of us at the monument. So even though I didn't really know anyone very well, I was just like, you know, we're all in this together, guys, you know, <laughs> looking around. But yeah, I think I, back to having expectations, I, I knew I wanted to find people um, and I knew I wanted to build really cool relationships with people. But I also didn't want to put that pressure on myself of saying, you know, you need to find those people to have a good experience. And I, you know, I didn't want to pre-plan a group. I didn't want to, you know, grab the first person I saw and say, we're hiking together. (laughs) Um, Because I knew it was a long, it was a long trail. And you want to know that you're hiking with people that, you know, you, get along with or just are moving the same pace or have the same expectations. Um, so again, I just try to not have 
those set expectations on who I was going to be hiking with or um, what my trail family situation would look like. I'm assuming that showing up at the monument day one is a little bit like showing up at kindergarten. And, you know, you're kind of looking around and like, who's going to be my friend? Uh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I was unashamedly pretty, um, I guess, not like dorky, but I was just out there. I I wanted to make friends for sure. (laughs) So I definitely was trying to, you know, talk to people and be like, hey. (laughs) Yeah. So it definitely felt like that because, you know, you're all starting the same journey. Um, and you, yeah, you don't want to feel alone. So, yeah, you you see the other people around and kind of get a gauge on, okay, who who could be my friend? <laughs> <laughs> and then you also know there's going to be another thirty to fifty people starting the day after you. And mm-hmm. except it's so funny when you're starting, it feels like a day is just a lifetime. You know, you're like, okay, well, these people are starting a day behind me. I'm you know, I'm never going to see them or, you know, I don't know, especially when you're beginning, a day feels like a lot, but it really isn't, you know, it's really not. Those people will catch up to you or you'll catch up to the people who started the day before you and it all becomes, yeah, it all, a day is kind of nothing in the end. Yeah. And, and you knew ahead of you was your brother. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that you were kind of keeping track of where you were in relation to where he was. Yes, yes. I mean, especially to begin with, I was just, um, I went in thinking, you know, I'm going to catch him. I'm going to catch him. <laughs> it, like every day I'm going to make miles on him. But I also, that also wasn't my focus. I didn't want to feel pressured to hike bigger miles just to catch up to him. Because I also really wanted us to have our own experiences. He didn't even know about the trail. I mean, I hardly knew about the trail, but he knew even less, had never hiked, never done a multi-day hike in his life. Um, <laughs> and I just came to him one day and said, hey, Kinto, I am, I'm going to do the PCT. Um, do you, do you want to do it as well? Because I knew he was kind of figuring things out between university and work. And um, he was just like, uh, yeah, okay. Um, had knew, no idea what he had signed up for, but yeah, in terms of experiences, I think I knew that, you know, with family, it's pretty easy to get sick of them. And I wanted this experience to be, you know, my own and not have to, I guess you just kind of want it to be some, some form of personal development as well without another added pressure. Well, that's how I felt anyway. So I thought it was cool that we would have our own experience experiences for a while and I would most definitely catch up to him and, you know, then join together and talk about, okay, well, so how was the desert for you? How was the Sierra for you? But yeah, so he started 11 days before me. And when I, after my first day, I found out he was like 150 miles ahead of me. So I was kind of keeping tabs on that. Uh, But he ended up having a kind of different way of hiking where he got to Kennedy Meadows a lot earlier or like, you know, 10 days before me. And his trail family had decided to flip up north and then do a bit of hiking up there because I think there was still some snowstorms coming through. So it kind of 
we I couldn't keep track beyond that point <laughs> because you know it was just like okay where where are we going to meet um which ended up being uh cascade locks right and and that picture that you've got of the before and and after or before and in the middle is pretty epic <laughs> it, it looks a little bit particularly him it looks a little bit like you've been to war <laughs> yeah yeah i mean the ripped sleeve really helps right yeah absolutely <laughs> like what happened i'm like he he could have had a really cool story but i think it was just literally a branch that had um ripped <laughs> um yeah no it's a, it's a pretty cool um photo to look back at and see well you know we have really had our own journeys and we rejoined here but then you guys separated again right and you went on your way and he and he did his own thing correct um, from Cascade Locks, no. So we ended up hiking the rest of the trail together. Ah. So we hiked the whole of Washington together. Mm. But he just, I guess he just didn't really feature in a lot of my videos. No, not at all. <laughs> it's funny because he's just like, why? I, was, I wasn't even part of it, you know. <laughs> it's like, no. I think it was because um, uh, different hiking paces and um, I think, you know, you're kind of – in your own world in a way and we talk we would have conversations on trail and stuff but we weren't hiking intensively together and I think it goes back to you know you're hiking alone most of the day and when you see people it's generally at camp or um at a lunch break so yeah he just wasn't in a lot of the clips he's also very quiet so he um wouldn't really talk to camera or anything like that (laughs) (laughs) now I'm gonna have to go back and look at uh, episode eight and see if I can see him anywhere. Yeah. I mean, like he's in the in background, some shots, but he literally, I mean, he looks like any other hiker, right? Kind of yeah. um, scraggly with some facial hair and um, <laughs> well, any other male hiker. Um, so <laughs> yeah. How did you, I think you talk about it in the video, but how did you first hear about the PCT? Yeah, it's super embarrassing because it's the most basic answer. Um, <laughs> where I had read the though I'm not ashamed because otherwise I would have never even heard about through hiking um, or long trails, which was I'd read the book Wild when I was, I think I was 16 or 17. I don't actually remember how old I was. Somebody had told me to read it, and so I did. And I don't remember much from the book. I haven't seen the film, but all I remember – well, the main takeaway was that there was a trail that went from Mexico to Canada. And I know she goes through a lot um, personally in the book, but. But that I was more be- blah, blah, blah. Trail. No. Blah, blah, blah. Trail. <laughs> no, I definitely, I mean, I really, you know, her story was incredible, but I just remember the first thing I found out was that there was this trail from Mexico to Canada. And I remember thinking, wow, that is insane and I could never do that in my lifetime I would love to but I don't know if I not necessarily physically could but could just put myself in a position where I could head out there and do it and mentally do it so yes I found out about the PCT through wild and I'm not ashamed it's fine a lot of people find out that way, honestly, between the book and the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so when did your mind change that it was something that you could do or that you wanted to tackle? 
Um, I think as just over the years, I got more into hiking. I always say that if you are living in New Zealand, it's you have no excuse to not be into hiking uh, because we have really good access to some trails, beautiful trails and scenery out here. So as the years went by, I got more into hiking and more into multi-day hiking and realized I was planning traveling around hiking trips. Um, so it definitely became more of a passion of mine. And as I was kind of expanding my experience with hiking, I started thinking bigger. So that little seed of the PCT that was way <laughs> back, way back, back of my mind started kind of growing and sitting there and slowly becoming, you know, blossoming um, into a fully fledged idea. So, yeah, it just took some time of um, having more experiences on the trail, on, on different trails for it to grow. In terms of getting to the PCT or kind of making that actual decision to go do it, I think, you know, you have those ideas and you're like, okay, I'll get to it one day. But sometimes it takes an event, an experience, or even kind of just dissatisfaction with your life to say to yourself, okay, I'm going to make a change. I'm, I am going to go do this thing that absolutely terrifies me that I have had sitting in the back of my mind for a while. It's, it's time to go do it. And I definitely had a couple of factors that led to it, you know, external factors. So my mom got sick and that was kind of very eye-opening for my family, you know, that life is fragile. Um, we don't have as much time as we think and things can happen. So that was one factor. Another factor was, you know, the classic tale of heartbreak. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, <laughs> I was actually thinking of um, starting while I was on the trail, I wanted to record stories of broken hearts, the PCT, um, <laughs> because there, I feel like one in four are out there. So if anybody is hiking this year, feel free Go go record those stories. Um, you can do the so, Broken Hearts Club. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. That was one of them. You know, it was just that was an external factor that led to it. But I think in terms of kind of internal factors, was just I'd got into a point of discomfort. I think I I got to a point of wanting to feel like I could prove to myself that I could do it, and I always believe in kind of pushing myself outside of my comfort zone. It's something that I always strive to do and try to remind myself, you know, that's how you grow. And I guess I was starting to feel comfortable with where I was or just not necessarily comfortable, but just in a way settling for a life I wasn't super stoked about. So in a way I was feeling discomfort, right? I was feeling mm -hmm. discomfort and feeling stuck. Yeah. But instead I wanted a discomfort where I felt like I was growing. And that's that was one of the biggest pushes to get me onto the PCT. Now, you do have a, a local trail. <laughs> um, Really? I, I <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funny thing is I hadn't even heard about um, Te Araroa before the PCT. I, really? I learned about the PCT before Te Araroa. Um, and... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little bit embarrassing, but yes, I hadn't heard um, 
about the TA, but that was years ago. So, so before I did the PCT, I obviously knew of the trail. I actually have a friend, uh, Micah, who hiked it in oh, maybe 2015 or so. Um, so I do have a friend who went and did it. And I remember hearing him do it and thinking, wow, you know, that's a, it's quite a feat. But even hearing about him doing it didn't inspire me to go to it. <laughs> But yes, it's almost like a given if you come from New Zealand and you go to the States and do a trail, everybody asks, oh, have you done the TA? And it's like, no, I don't know much about it at all. Um, all I know, all I've heard is that there are a lot of uh, roads. I have looked at the maps for it and where it goes through in Auckland, where I grew up and where I'm living right now, the suburbs that, that it goes through. And I'm just like, no, I, I can't. I can't walk through those suburbs. Just... <laughs> Because I know these streets so well and I know the highways or the motorways where you walk along. Um, I mean, this isn't a I'll never do it spiel, but um, it's not the top of my list. <laughs> yeah. The the PCT uh, grabbed your heart and that was where you needed to go halfway around the world in order to. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. To find um, true love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the one. How has Tip Tap translated back into the world now for you mm. well in terms of uh reintegrating to society um i don't think she quite has um <laughs> <laughs> she's still but wild <laughs> she's just yearning every day to get back on a trail yeah no translated back into the world i guess right now i've come back and uh you know, you come back with a renewed sense of perception of how you want to lead your life after doing a trail like that. And I've definitely come back thinking, okay, how how can I integrate this into my life? Because this is something I really love. I love the outdoors. I love the community. How can I make this more of my life? So it's been a process of figuring out what the next steps are. You know, I had to obviously cave and have an income. Um, so yeah. acquired a temporary job, which I am very clear is temporary, um, <laughs> though it's fine. And, you know, I'm making an income. It's, it's definitely not the dream. But, yeah, I think it's finding that balance between being a um, contributing member of society as well as someone who can – actively pursue the dreams on trails. Did you find your dreams, so to speak, changing from doing the trail? Not necessarily change. I think it kind of just reignited that fire. I have always known that filmmaking and um, storytelling is something I'm very passionate about. And I've also known that the outdoors is something and hiking is really important to me um, in terms of, I guess, identity and passion. Um, and it's funny because I I actually lived in the States over, the, over 2017. So I lived for about 13 months over there. And I lived in Brooklyn for six months. And I'd filmed – I filmed a lot while I was there just for myself. I've never really done anything with the videos, but I found this one video where I'm about to leave 
Brooklyn and the last day of me being in this apartment um, and I talk to the camera and I say into the camera, it's kind of embarrassing, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I say into the camera, I'm, I'm talking to myself, you know, I'm saying, yeah, um, you know what you want to do. You want to pursue filmmaking, but in more of a context of nature and the outdoors and community. And that's what I told myself. So, but I'd forgotten I'd even made this video. I'd forgotten <laughs> that that was something I'd told myself. And so it's always been there, right? And then going out on the trail, coming back, putting together this video, and then going and finding that video again. It was like, wow, I I really, you know, put to action that thing that I'd told myself and, and, you know, in a very small way, but in a starting step. And so, yeah, coming off the trail that just reignited that passion of saying, Hey, you know, people are responding and people are enjoying what I'm making, which helps to fuel the fire. Does it help you maybe find the, the story that you want to tell or to search for the story that you want to tell? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's difficult as well because I want to tell other people's stories, but it's difficult when you kind of don't have um, a lot of, I guess, credibility in a way to begin with. And the thing you have or the subject you have most accessible to you is yourself. So right now, obviously, my videos are, it's a lot of my face. It's its too much. <laughs> I, I get frustrated and annoyed at myself every day um, just seeing my face, hearing my voice. So that's kind of where it's started. But the more, I guess, I push myself, potentially the more stories I can tell. I, I do have some stories in my mind that I know I'd eventually like to tell. But right now, I guess the focus is in the context of the outdoors. One thing I've I've definitely found with the the film and TV industry is that there's definitely a a six degrees of separation, probably even a two to three degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If if you find an, uh, a story that you are passionate about telling, there's there's always a way to do it. Yes, yes, it's very true. It's hard though because I feel like <laughs> it's probably a mentality thing, but being being in New Zealand you just it feels like 20 degrees is <laughs> um but no you're definitely right and I think in a community like the through hiking community mm-hmm. there's you know it feels like everybody knows each other or everybody you can somehow get in touch with somebody if you really want to yeah it, it's pretty funny like I talking about that those degrees of separation uh you know I've only talked to maybe 65 people, mm-hmm. you know, so, so a very, very small percentage of the overall population of through hikers out there. Mm. And yet many, many of the people that I've spoken to know other people that I've spoken to know other people that they refer to meet these people on the trail. It, it's the webs of connection are so amazing that I am constantly just stunned by, you know, this person and that person and that person. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is a small and special community for sure. And even with all the trail names that kind of double over, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and speaking of trail names, 
Tip Tap mm-hmm. was not, as I understand it, your first trail name. No, I mean, you know, you get offered a lot of trail names to begin with, and you can veto them because <laughs> you don't have to take the first one you're given. I, I think that's, yeah, that's a, it's a good rule. You can, I feel like you can veto up to three times. Um, and I was given, I was given spoons because I'd lost a spoon, but I'd already heard about another spoon, so I was like, well, it's a very, it's a super generic trail name, you know. You kind of want a trail name that feels kind of unique. You know, there's always going to be a double over, but at least have a good story behind it as opposed to just losing a spoon, which kind of every second person does. <laughs> um, so, and then, you know, I was given, I think I was given Boy Scout as well. And I was kind of like, well, we, we started the trail and the first person I met was Scout, you know? I, <laughs> so I was like, mm, I don't think I want to take that one. And then it was the third one I was given tip tapper. I was like, yeah, I can take this. I can take this. I admit I can't use my trekking poles and it's a little bit embarrassing. So yeah, it's, I'll take it. <laughs> when you say you can't use your trekking poles. I just had never used trekking poles before. Okay. And, um, <laughs> so I actually, it's so funny. I was, first, I was like, how do you use these? And I was kind of getting like a a lesson I think I never see tricking poles being or I hardly see tricking poles being used in New Zealand it's just we don't have a culture of tricking poles so I'd never used them before um I thought it'd be very simple and natural to um start using uh apparently not apparently I just kind of you know tip tap them on the ground um I still don't know to this day if I'm using them right. It's funny. I actually recently came across a YouTube video of how to use your trekking pole. Gotta love YouTube. And I started watching and I was like, mm, I still don't think I've got this. Um, I will practice these tips um, next time I'm using them. Did you find, however you ended up using them, did you find them helpful? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> I think to begin with, yeah, it was just, I wasn't using them. And so I was just, it, to me, I was like this, it's, you know, I'm just getting um, training in for this year. You guys, I, I've been tricking you all along. Um, it's actually been my plan. So, yeah. Yeah. In the Sierra, particularly last year, it kind of looks like using your trekking poles or using a trekking pole and your ice axe is sort of required. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, it was a rough time out there and it's funny you look back or you think back to it and you're like it wasn't that bad, but then I really think about it and I'm like, yes, it, it was that bad. Every day was a struggle. Um and I was walking on snow for about a month straight um where we never had more than an hour on a trail. It was a lot of snow, a lot of physical exertion and mental exertion. Um, it was it was rough. And even thinking back to people coming through, you know, my brother went through probably two weeks after me, and he was, he told me, "Oh, I loved this year. It was fun. Every day was so exciting." I'm like, <laughs> did did we have the same Sierra? But I realized that two weeks can make such a difference in snow melt that. Yeah, we did have a different Sierra experience. Sierras were challenging. What do you think of them? What do you think of that experience kind of overall? How did that experience change you? Um, it definitely was the kind of 
section of the trail where I experienced the most uh, growth in terms of knowing what I was capable of or realizing that I was capable of lot, a lot more than I'd thought. I mean, you're just pushed every day to your limits, right? So you grow in that sense where you realize, okay, if I can do, if I can climb Whitney, if I can do Forrester, if I can get through the Sierra, I can do anything. So you come out just feeling like the ultimate badass who can climb <laughs> any mountain. You know, you think after that, after the Sierra, anytime I was feeling like I was going to struggle or if there was a climb ahead, I would just think back to the Sierra and say, you know, you got through that. You climbed Whitney. You fought at those crossings. You woke up at ungodly hours. Yes. And you can do anything. So that definitely set a good tone in terms of saying, you know, you got this. How was standing on the top of Whitney or standing on the top of Forrester Pass and kind of looking around? Oh, Whitney was incredible. I'd never climbed a 14er. So it was the highest I'd ever been. And, you know, it's just such a – it was such a memorable experience because, you know, you wake up at – we woke up at like 1 a.m. and, you know, you're just hiking in the dark with the stars all above you and you see headlamps dancing in the distance way up and you realize that those are other hikers climbing up Whitney and you are going to be up there. and. You know, it's just steps of ice, a straight up climb where there are no switchbacks. And it just feels like, you know, you're doing bloody, you know, early stage mountaineering up there. And yeah. having never used an ice axe before, I was like, oh, well, I hope I hope I get this right. Um, digging into the side of the mountain and, um, you know, people above you, people digging in steps, ice hitting your head, just being like, hey, this is not a safe situation, but we're going to go with it and we're going to get to the top. Um, And, you know, facing the altitude and you're just so exhausted. And then you finally get to the top and the sun is rising. Everybody up there is just, you know, so excited as well as frozen over completely because it is so cold up there. But, you know, you've accomplished this incredible feat, you know, the first time climbing that high. And I just remember thinking, wow, I we we did that. We did that. And then you start climbing down and you see what you climbed because you were climbing in the dark and you're just like, oh, my God, we did that. <laughs> it was almost better that you couldn't see exactly what you were doing. Oh, 100%. I'm so glad we climbed in the dark because I would have been like, wow, we are going to die up here no so yeah it was it was it was good climbing in the dark <laughs> <laughs> you'd highly recommend it oh 100 no actually when i was climbing it i was thinking i do not want my brother doing this at all he because he'd um he was behind me at that point in terms of the year and i was thinking i do not want him to do this i do not trust him with an ice <laughs> <laughs> luckily he didn't do it which I give him shit for uh, every day. So, <laughs> Do you know why he chose not to do Whitney? Or was it just not the trail family doing it? Yeah, his trail family wasn't doing it. And so he didn't uh, want to do it by himself, which makes so much sense. Um, but still, he didn't climb it. So uh, sorry about that, Kinder. <laughs> He's going to have to come back. 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. One of the things that I've noticed a lot in your videos, particularly once you joined the blob, was the the laughter. Mm. Mm-hmm. You you guys just seem to have a lot of fun together. Mm. Yeah, no, we did. I think it comes with kind of the balance of um a big group, so a lot of different personalities, as well as it's harder to get sick of people when there's a bigger group because the smaller the group, the easier it is to get on each other's nerves because you're with each other so much. So when it's with a bigger group, it kind of spreads out. So you can have, I guess, less of that. But yeah, we just all got along really well. And of course, again, it comes back to what I actually captured because there were definitely days where it was just like a head down hike. <laughs> but when we got together at some points, it was, yeah, a lot of fun. And we were definitely, especially as you're in the latter half of the trail, trying to make the most of having as much fun as you possibly can, you know, maximize those moments because the rest of the time is just going to be just going to be walking. And you kind of also feel slash know that it's going to be coming to an end shortly. Oh yeah. 100%. You, the closer you get, you know, you're finishing Oregon, you're starting Washington and you're, you're realizing, okay, this, this is really going to end soon. Um, this existence, you know, this chapter of our lives isn't going to last forever. So we we should have as much fun as we can while we can, because this might be the last time we are all together. Do you think it will be the last time you guys are all well probably all together, but do you do you feel like you'll do some other trails and and kind of connect up with people? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, well, definitely. Um, I don't know if everyone will be there for everything because you know it's hard to get two people together, let alone eleven people. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think there are hikes in the future or um, gatherings in the future. Yeah, we have a group chat that goes on, and I always have a lot of FOMO because you know that all of them are in the States, um, <laughs> except for me. So, you know, every so often I just give a little reminder, hey, guys, you can come come to New Zealand sometime. Um, it's not that bad. Um, it's beautiful and there's lots of hiking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to escape the world, come down here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's definitely already talks of future plans, let's say, whether or not if it all works out, we'll find out. But... In terms of keeping in contact, I don't think I will lose touch with these people. They've they've uh, they've marked you, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you go through an experience like that together, and I think any kind of shared experience where you are struggling a lot, you know, you feel like you're at your lowest of lows, equally at your highest of highs. Any kind of experience like that, where you're at your raw state and you know, you bond over this. You can't replicate that kind of experience in day-to-day life. So once you have that shared experience with someone, it's you you don't want to let it go. Yeah. What was one of your low your low days or your low times? Mm. I think 
the Sierra, there were definitely a lot of rough patches in there for me. Some experiences, I mean, one particular experience I have purposely left out of my videos and I don't know if I'll ever really talk about it, but um, it was just an experience um, that involved another person and our group and group dynamics. And it was an experience where I genuinely felt like my life or the life of somebody else was in danger. So that was one of the lowest of lows and probably most terrifying experiences in my life. And this is not a great way to tell the story because I'm obviously just saying all these things and not telling you the story. Which is fine. Um, but one day, I don't know, we'll, we'll see. Um, so that was an experience. But the other lows, I think, were just I have glass ankles and would continuously twist them. I played netball, which is not a sport in the States, and people don't <laughs> believe that it's a real sport, but it's a sport. Netball, it's like basketball, but without bouncing it. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great sport, but it definitely screwed up my ankles um, yeah. from high school and such. And um, I saw you limping in your videos a lot. Yeah. Oh, that's funny because I um, it's hard because I don't notice – I guess I, because I'm cutting them quite quickly, I don't really see it. But if I actually just recently, I kind of hurt my ankle again and I was in pain and I remembered, oh yeah, this is what it felt like almost every day on trail. I, yeah, in the Sierra, um, a little bit of NorCal, the end of the desert, my ankle was in a lot of pain where I thought I might have to, a lot of, sometimes I would think maybe I have to, I might have to get off trail at some point and either end my hike or um, take a lot of time off to let it heal because my morning routine became waking up, taking two ibuprofen, retaping, restrapping my ankle, putting a compression band over it and just getting through the day. Um, and I would take ibuprofen throughout the whole day just to get through it and not feel that pain. It was, yeah, swollen a lot, most of the trail. So some days you know, I would forget about it and it'd be okay. Once it was warm, I'd keep moving. But other days I would retwist it and just burst out crying because of the pain. Like I couldn't control it. It wasn't an emotional response. It was a physical reaction where my body was make, you know, that pain was making me cry. So there were days like that that were definitely low. But yeah, that the first one was probably the the lowest lowest of the lows again where I am not giving any information which is <laughs> super frustrating to anybody listening and I'm sorry they'll just have to follow you and see if you ever talk about it yes exactly exactly we'll chat over with it over over coffee or beer there we go sounds sounds like a plan mm -hmm. with with your ankles and stuff like that I can imagine that the first couple of times you do it on trail you know it's it's both painful, but it's also scary because you don't, you know, are you going to get off or you're not going to get off, you know, that kind of decision. But I would assume at a certain point, you twist it again, it's frustrating, it's painful. But it's almost like the, you know, unless it's broken, we're just going to soldier through and we're going to get it at, get it done. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I am very, very stubborn. Um, very stubborn. You can um, ask my family about that. They will <laughs> <laughs> attest to it. Yes. So there was, yeah, that wasn't going to stop me. And you're right. It w- unless I broke my ankle, that was the only reason I was I was going to stop or get off trail. Now, one of the other challenges that you had that a lot of people don't necessarily have is you're in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. You don't have a cottage industry of through hiking supplies. Mm -hmm. Plus, you are not going to hike in New Zealand. You're going to hike in the States. So how did you go about putting together your your pack so to speak Mm. all the stuff that was in your pack yeah yeah it was um yeah it was a bit of chaos actually um you know you watch all these videos on youtube and you see everyone's cool gear and you're like wow i also had never had ultralight gear or anything like that i didn't know much about or anything about ultralight the ultralight world or just even lightweight gear i had no concept of that until i decided oh i'm gonna do the pct which i only really solidified in January um, of that year. Um, so I'd looked at all these videos and seen all these reviews. I'm like, wow, this gear, you know, look how light it is. Look how incredible it is. <laughs> and then you go to buy it and you're like, okay, well, shipping to New Zealand is the same price as the gear. I'm, <laughs> I'm exaggerating there. But, you know, shipping to New Zealand is another cost um, on top of getting uh, travel insurance, paying for flights, getting my visa sorted, all these things you ha- additional things you have to figure out and then on top of that you know shipping gear shipping costs and then you still got to ship it back to the states again exactly i mean you've got to try yeah bring it to new zealand realize okay yep we'll figure out if that's the gear you want to use and then go from there but i am super lucky and um I, because I lived in the States for that year in 2017, I did move to Denver for a couple months and I met some amazing friends there, lived with some really cool people who I still keep in touch with all the time and was kind of asked them, you know, hey guys, um, can I uh, use your place as a home base and just ship like a shit ton of packages to your place? And they're like, yeah, sure. So probably every other day leading up to the trail, they were receiving packages of gear that I'd purchased. I kind of went all in in a way, um, which, yeah, was a very active decision. But so I, yeah, bought all my gear and then shipped it to their place and arrived oh maybe a week before starting trail to all these packages I got to open you know it was like Christmas <laughs> but realizing okay I I'm gonna I have no option I have to use the stuff that I bought yeah. even if it's wrong so I just hoped like how that my research had paid off um and these reviews that uh the likes of Darwin uh had um <laughs> given were good and accurate and it all worked out everything arrived on time you know, my pack, my sleeping bag, all that jazz arrived. And I was happy with my guess. I was lucky in that sense. But it did take more organization and forward thinking to ensure that I did have the gear that I wanted and, um, yeah, would receive it in time to hike the trail. So what did you end up with for a pack? 
I ended up with the Waymark. Um, okay. I'd never had a frameless pack before. It was the 40-liter one. I didn't know if all my stuff was going to fit as well. I had never packed my pack before. Before I got to Scout and Frodo's, I hadn't packed all my stuff in my pack. So I didn't know if everything was going to fit or not. And I was terrified. I got to Scout and Frodo's <laughs> being like somebody somebody help me um luckily there was a pass through hiker um canadian treasure and she helped me out and we put everything in my pack and i was like oh it all fits <laughs> yeah i was stoked about that but yeah so i ended up with this frameless pack and um had never used anything like it before and just hoped like hell that uh you know, my shoulders weren't going to get sore and this wasn't a big mistake. Um, but no, it, it worked out and I was I was happy with it. I've got to assume that you are like every other newbie through hiker in that you brought some things, you carried some stuff or you started the trail with some things that you found that you did not need pretty mm. rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess I was, but also I think I was because I knew I was carrying a camera and some heavier gear, I was a little bit, a little bit uh, nervous about carrying extra weight. So I was trying to not carry those extra things. I was that um, really kind of, I was that person who, you know, cut their toothbrush and, which I know a lot of people do, but I was, you know, making sure that I could shave off any weight I could. Um, And I think it was purely from, watching videos and reading um, threads about ultralight gear. And I think back to anything I got rid of, and it was probably, I mean, there was nothing. Like, I got rid of an extra camera battery. I got rid of, hmm, maybe another pair of socks. I, um, you know, you end up down to one pair of underwear, but there wasn't a lot for me to get rid of. I think because I was really trying to prioritize having an extra weight allowance for my camera. Unlike, and this is, this is from your video directly, I guess, uh, German who had a salt shaker. And a oh my God. And hey. That was brilliant. Oh um, my, I several times, I mean, you know, when you offer to give someone a pack, pack shakedown, I, I felt like I was in no place to, you know, you're a noob yourself. I'm, uh-huh. I felt like I was in no place. But when I saw his pack, I was like, dude, we need to do a <laughs> You are carrying so much shit. Like he was carrying this compass, like this heavy golden compass that he never used. He was carrying three journals and uh, and we got to, um, I think it was Idlewild. And I said to him, have you written anything in these journals? And he was like, no, I, I haven't touched them. And I'm like, get rid of them and he's like but this one's a game of thrones journal get rid of it unless it's sentimental and it means a lot to you there is no purpose especially the the best thing was his salt shaker had no salt in it it was just a glass (laughs) an empty glass salt shaker what was Um, he going to do with it i have no idea I mean, supposedly put salt on his food, but I mean, what's the point if there's no salt in it? So yeah, he um, got rid of some things. Uh, He definitely carried some extra stuff. He continued to carry extra stuff, but he did never run out of food. And um, no, he was, he was well prepared that one. (laughs) (laughs) Way to put it gently. Yeah. How was 
both resupplying for you as well as, you know, at, at certain places along the trail, you have to switch out gear. Yeah, yeah. So how how were those things for you? I mean, did you use like Triple Crown Outfitter or something like that for the bear can and the ice axe and things or? For the bear can and the ice axe, I had a package waiting for me at Kennedy Meadows. I was actually super lucky. And just before starting trail, I saw that um, there's this company called Joe's Chocolate um, based in Mm -hmm. Seattle. And they had started this sponsorship called the Caveman Dirtbag Sponsorship. And they said, you know, um, you can apply for this. And if you get it, we will send you eight resupply boxes um, throughout the trail. We will um, hook you up with some gear and we'll give you some cash. And I went for it, you know, and I ended up getting it. And I was just so stoked. I was like, whoa, there's eight resupply boxes I don't have to think about. And they had actually sent me my beer canister and um, ice axe. So that was waiting for me there at Kanemino. So I felt like I had that, even though I had my friends in Denver, I did have my friends in Denver help me out a little bit with boxes. I mean, not a little bit. They sent me the, I think, three boxes I'd prepared for myself with some other extra gear sitting, waiting that I needed um, so I could message them. But then I also had that additional support, which was so helpful coming internationally um, of people based in the States who were like, oh, you need some more shoes well um if you know from the cash that we're providing for you we can buy you a pair um so i was very very lucky in that sense and i'm so grateful that i got that because i know not everybody does i mean what yeah it was sort of like you had it, it made you a little bit like you had a home team yeah and they would send handwritten notes and it was just so lovely so i and i also got that from my friends in denver so it was this yeah, nice personal touch that I had, you know, like a family away from my family. How were how was resupplying for you in the grocery stores and in the stores? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it was wait, I'll let you finish your question. Well, there's two parts of that question. One is basically just sort of the statement of how was the grocery store shopping experience for you? But also, what was your plan in terms of resupply and in terms of meals? And then how did that translate into the shopping that you did? Yes. Um, okay. Firstly, resupplies for me are a nightmare. Um, I never got good at them. I was never time efficient. I was always the last or second to last, but I did get better towards the end. Um, person out of the store so everyone would be waiting for me and I, I remember one experience where katana was just standing there going like hurry up tip tap and then i get to the counter and they all start clapping for me i'm just like oh my <laughs> god you guys there's so much pressure i don't want to carry like food that's too heavy and i want to get nutritious food but i also want some pop tarts you know so it's balancing that all as well as that the options in the states are just immense they are just crazy in New Zealand, if you come to a supermarket here, the options are just so minimal. You know, you've got four options or whatever for mm-hmm. a type of bar. Okay, I'm exaggerating a little bit there, but it's just our shelves look empty or bare compared to um, 
you know, the options in the States. So when I got there and went into the grocery stores, I was just like, oh my God, there are so many options here. Um, even though I'd lived in the States, you know, I had, I'd closed off all the shitty sugary foods. I never bought those things. So mm-hmm. suddenly this whole grocery aisle was open to me. Um, <laughs> and I was the like, the world well, opened in front of you. I can eat anything um what am I going to get so having those options were just overwhelming to me as well as that yeah it goes back to trying to balance nutritious food with the fun foods where you're like you know where you're excited to eat them because in regular life you're not going to reach for the pop tarts unfortunately well not all the time you know so yeah it's, it was that balance and for me I don't eat meat and I'm mainly plant-based in when I'm in my regular life. Um, I eat a bit of fish occasionally, but on trail, I, you know, you want to make sure you're getting enough protein in your diet as well as just some form of nutrition, right? Um, and like <laughs> yeah. vegetables somehow. So I would always kind of look for the dehydrated vegetables or um, the TVP, textured visual protein, um, which adds (laughs) protein to, you know, your ramen or whatever. Um, I started trying to get a bit gourmet in the Sierra. I went for some very Japanese-inspired meals. I'd message my mom and say, how can I make my meals taste better? And she would say, like, buy sesame oil and get some wakame or something like that. And so I added, started, you know, trying to make my dishes taste a bit better by going for those things, which of course, as a result, made shopping even more complicated. Um, you know, trying to get flavorful, nutritious, protein rich <laughs> meals in. Um, towards the end I threw that all out the window and it all became about whatever was fast and easy to eat as I got rid of my stove and stuff. So it definitely changed over the course of the trail, but for me, resupplies never got easier. Never. <laughs> they still stress me out. Just the thought of them stresses you out. Yes, yes. Just heading in, knowing I, you know, everybody's buying stuff and you have to get out of there. Um, yeah, it's it's a stressful time. Did your video of the day after your first ramen meal is pretty hysterical. Oh yes, yes. Did the effect that that had on you cause you to change your ramen shopping habits at all? <laughs> I, um, I, I think after that I did stop eating ramen. Um, I didn't pick up ramen again till much later on the trail, but I still to this day don't know what it was. I think there was a combination of things cause I'd also eaten my first pop tart the night that night before. So I still don't know if it was the combination of just that pop tart, the high sodium in the ramen, the high altitude that we just experienced coming down, um, I think it was San Jacinto, mm-hmm. as well as I've been told that some people have allergies to down and I have a down quilt. So I still don't know what it was to the day. And <laughs> I woke up puffy several times on trail, but that yeah. was 100% the worst of it where I had these forehead wrinkles that just were like 
imprinted on my head and um I just looked at myself and I was and the funny thing is I woke up that morning and I was like I feel a bit puffy I kind of looked at my reflection you know my phone reflection but not my camera it was still dark and I was like oh I think I think I'm a bit puffy and then I got up in the morning and I just turned to the guys and I'm like hey guys am I puffy and they all just look at me and they're like whoa I'm like what they're like yeah I'm like can you can you take a photo I'm like can you can you take a photo I want to see what I look like so they took that shot there's a photo of me somewhere and I remember looking at me like oh my god I have aged some years um so yeah yeah overnight yeah definitely impacted um my um habits for reaching for ramen but I ended up going back to ramen later on the trail anyway and did not have those those issues again. Um, I still had some puffy mornings, but nothing to that extent. It's yeah, it, I think it was a mix of all those things, as well as dehydration. You know, what what ended up being your favorite meal? Oh, um, well, like I said, I, I mean, there's a mix. So, okay, there were probably two meals, or one in particular that. I remember it goes back to being a bit gourmet. Um, it was this time where I'd packed out soba noodles and I had sesame oil, like a miso soup uh, mix. We'd found wild spring onions. Um, so we had these fresh vegetables to add in. Uh, my mum had given me little packets of furikake, which is kind of this flavoring that you can put on your rice, um, like sprinkles almost. I can't really describe it. Um, rice sprinkles. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yes. Um, and so I had a bit of that. And it was just all these like really delicious, rich flavors that, you know, you don't often get on trail with the addition of fresh vegetables. I think I'd packed out spinach as well. So that kind of nutrition and meal that you could eat off trail, that was very memorable. And I made everyone taste it just to brag about it. Like, try this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I'm. <laughs> this is what I'm eating on trail, which I had, you know, once or twice. And I mean, in terms of other favorite meals, I, you know, you get sick of the really sugary stuff, but I definitely enjoyed indulging in essentially anything that had a lot of peanut butter on it, um, which I consumed on the daily. And if I didn't, it would be a really, really bad day. So the uh, the peanut butter was your comfort food? Oh, 100%. It, I consumed it like no other. In the Sierra, any time I was like, I can't do this, I would just pull out my <laughs> one kilogram pouch and take a swig and be like, okay, I can, I, I can do it. But as a result, I would run out of it in the stretches. So would end up trying to trade anything I could for other people's peanut butter. <laughs> Did you try N- Nutella? I did have Nutella. I I try to avoid it as much as I can. I mean, I avoid it completely off trail because it's a dang, it's a slippery slope, right? Um, yes. But I had I never packed it out, but um, I managed to palm some off my brother actually on a stretch in Washington, where I I was I was low on the sweets. You know, I I'd run out of my chocolate, and it was after it was. I'd already finished my dinner and I was like, you know, I mean, I've eaten all the food I can. I was packing pretty light, so I didn't have excess. And he had this whole jar of Nutella. And I was like, Kento. Actually, I couldn't call him Kento on trail because his name was Stitch. But I couldn't get – I 
couldn't change my way of calling him Kinto. So, and I didn't want to call him Stitch. It just felt too weird. So I just ended up calling him Brother on trail, uh, <laughs> which became a secondary trail name. I was just like, Brother, can I please have some? Anyway, he offered me some Nutella. So Nutella on a wrap after dinner. Oh, it was a dream. <laughs> <laughs> the things that get you through the day. Yes, yes. It's the little things. Oh, absolutely. How was it for you between stove versus stoveless? Mm, um, I think the stove was a really nice comfort to have at the beginning. You know, you're already ripping yourself out of the comfort of a warm bed and a soft pillow. So to have that to begin with was really nice. You know, you finish your long day and you're like, oh, well, I've got this nice hot meal at the end of my day. And the Sierra, it was, I absolutely loved it because we took longer breaks. So I would actually sit down and make some hot coffee and hot coffee in the Sierra was just, it was this miracle potion, right? Um, <laughs> so I loved it. After the Sierra and getting into NorCal where we started doing bigger miles, I realized, you know, I'm fine without the comforts of a stove. Um, food is kind of just fuel at this point. It's kind of secondary to my – or just hot meals aren't so important to me in terms of feeling okay at the end of the day, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was happy to get rid of it, and I it was fine. I didn't miss my stove at any point after getting rid of it, and it just meant meals were kind of easy and – when you have less options, you kind of become a bit more creative and inventive with what you're eating, you know, and you try to create some more interesting combinations. So that that was another fun aspect, you know, you are on trail for a while and it's nice to change things up and keep things interesting as days start to feel a little bit monotonous in some time, like in some ways. So to have that change was like, yeah, kind of exciting in a way. It was almost a fresh trail. Yeah, yeah. It definitely felt like that um, with changing hiking groups as well as changing the way I ate. Yeah, all of that. A fresh start. A fresh start. And you only had, I guess you, you did that all before the halfway point. So just before reaching the halfway marker, I decided, okay, from the halfway marker, I'm not cooking anymore. So... I had, yeah, I literally cooked half the trail and then didn't cook the rest of the half. So going on to another trail, what would you probably do? I would probably start stoveless. Um, Yeah, I think because I've now in that mindset and I feel comfortable with it, then I would be happy to start with it. I think it would really depend. I guess if I started a trail that I knew was going to be really – cold maybe but Mm -hmm. at this point I'm pretty comfortable with without a stove how was your experiences with like trail angels trail magic that kind of thing oh man that was it was incredible you know I'd heard about trail angels you kind of once you start looking into the trail you hear about these things but it's not till you experience it that you kind of understand the weight of what they're doing you know how much time how much energy these people are giving up just to you know bring a smile to your face just to give you some kind of high in a day that could be really low so I 
yeah, there was there were more than I expected along the trail. I guess the PCT is quite known now for it. Of course, with some changes this year um, and next year, with some of these trail angel stops no longer running, but it was always just yeah, super exciting, and it made me feel so grateful, you know, for these people who would come out um, and selflessly give give back or try to help out in some way. What was a what was a an experience where you? I guess where, where trail, I will say trail magic per se caught you at a really low moment and completely changed your day or, or. Mm. Yeah. It's funny because sometimes you hear rumors of trail magic and so you don't want to get your hopes up. Right. Um, You don't want to bank on the fact on the idea that a trail angels ahead, because if you get there and there's no one there, you are going, your heart will just be <laughs> smattered into a million pieces. So when you have expectations, it, it does affect how you respond a little bit, but in terms of, yeah, a trail angel experience or trail magic experience where I was having the worst of days was one, I think it was Oregon and I, it was just it was just a rough time. I don't know why we were doing some really big days consistently, like 40 mile plus days and my body everything was just, you know, wasn't feeling it. Wasn't <laughs> feeling it at all. And we're just walking around the corner of the section of trail and um you walk I don't know, we walked onto some power lines, but there was nothing. There were no roads, there was nothing. I mean, there was obviously a road, a car got in, uh, but you know, there was no, there were no clear roads. There were no clear stops. And I'm just walking around the corner and I see a car, like a Jeep parked in the middle of nowhere. And I see people sitting and I'm like, okay, those are just people hiking. I mean, those are just people car camping. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yep. That's nothing. You know, that's what you tell yourself because you don't want to get your hopes up. And then you see some people sitting down and you're like, oh, they're just the friends. They're just their friends. It's nothing. And you keep getting closer. And you, and then you, I remember seeing, distinctly seeing this tiny little A4 piece of paper. I don't know what that is in American units. Um, uh, And it just said trail magic, but it's this tiny piece of paper. And I was like, Oh my God. You know, it was just, it was so unexpected. So in the middle of nowhere. And it just, my day just got infinitely better. And I don't actually remember their names, but they, um, one of the, the guy had hiked the PCT the year before, I think. Oh no, sorry. In 2017. Um, and he actually knew one of the guys pocket that we were hiking with. So he actually, he'd set up so he could run into pocket, but obviously give trail magic to the rest of the people who are hiking that day. And he purposely chose a spot that he knew nobody would expect. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he had this like angel food cake, you know, with some berries and like whipped cream and all of this. So, that just yeah brightened my day tenfold and yeah probably the most memorable in terms of unexpected trail magic experiences it it turned it around for you oh yeah oh yeah so i'm not sure if i'm not sure if to ask this question or not because you mention it in your video but then you sort of drop it and you haven't said anything more about it so (laughs) okay (laughs) approach yes yes uh which is pink blazing Mm, mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting topic. 
So you are the first person that I've actually heard mention, say, or call whatever, uh, uh, pink blazing. Oh, really? So was wow. that? Okay. Yeah. I've heard of, what is it? Blue blazing and white blazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, so was pink blazing something that you had heard just starting the trail? I mean, because people are just talking about it or? As I went along. Um, I think it's funny because I, um, before trail, I found out that there was another Kiwi, um, heaps or while Wilderbound, Wilderbound on, um, who had done the trail before. She'd done it twice. And I was like, whoa, who is this badass woman? I want to meet her. She's in New Zealand. You know, New Zealand's not that big. I can find a way. Um, and I ended up meeting up with her before I went, before I started the trail. And I met up with her in Christchurch and we just met up for dinner and we started talking about the trail. And I was like, tell me everything. I like, I need to learn. And, you know, she was, she gave me like a really good idea of the trail. And um, I was talking about gear and the gear that I was thinking of purchasing. And it was just really nice to bounce off bounces off with somebody who'd done the trail and had all this experience and then she was just like yeah and just be careful of Oregon and Washington I was like why and she's like that's when the pink blazing really starts and I'm like what (laughs) what's pink blazing she's like oh you you don't know what it is I'm like no she's like well it is uh when um yeah, essentially, you know, when somebody is interested, mm-hmm. has a love interest in somebody, and they'll kind of alter their pace a little bit. The funny thing is you notice it well before Oregon, Washington. Like, you see it. But, yeah, before then, I'd never even heard about it. But, I mean, the flip side of that is essentially if you're chasing someone who's male, it's alternatively called banana blazing um, <laughs> for, for obvious reasons, um, you know. Um because bananas are great you know um so yeah they I was told about that before trail and I was like I don't think that's going to happen plus I 100% don't want any involvement in that you know I'm heading out there for myself I don't Mm -hmm. want that to be a part of my experience but as you know uh as you may we tell ourselves stories yes and uh you know your mindset and perspectives on things change as you get <laughs> going <laughs> essentially i mean yeah i didn't want that to be a part of my hike and mm-hmm. it's funny because oftentimes when things like that happen you are not looking for it and i guess in a way that is what happened to me i, I cuz i can see and i can see you know, both you're talking about the hiking to keep up with somebody, which can also happen in terms of hiking to keep up with a tramley as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in that, I also didn't, I wouldn't have let that um, change my pace as well because I was still hiking. You know, we were all part of a big trail family, um, mm-hmm. and that was that was probably my number one in terms of pace. I mean, that was my number one, um, sticking with these people that I really got along with and was having a really good experience with. So that was my ultimate. There must be some kind of blazing for trail families, right? Um, or for people who are like gotta be. trying to join trail families. <laughs> but the thing is, people are so, you know, welcoming and open out there that there is none of that, um, I guess, intimidation as well. Did you feel the pressure? I mean, pink blazing aside, did you feel the pressure to keep up with with people? Was that a struggle for you? Um, you feel a pressure on yourself to 
I mean, you just, I feel like maybe you w- wouldn't dawdle as much. In a way, you don't, I don't think I'd want to dawdle anyway. Um, but you have, I mean, there's that feeling of, yeah, I want to stick with these people. Um, in terms of keeping up, I think all of us were hiked pretty much the same pace and could do the same miles and which was why we were successful in being able to stick together so that wasn't too much no that wasn't an issue I guess yeah because I do hear from people that sometimes the pressure of trying to keep up with people that you that you like families that you like can be a struggle or can be pressure um undue pressure so to speak mm-hmm. and yeah. it's all self-imposed but yeah I can definitely see that I think yeah and and it goes back to maybe that's why we were able to stick together is that we could all hike you know some people were obviously stronger than others and would push ahead but we could all yeah be somewhat comfortable I wouldn't really say comfortable that's not (laughs) an accurate representation um you know feel okay with doing the same miles and be able to recover but I can definitely see that happening but I guess it comes down to how you want to end up hiking you know you've got to ask yourself is this trail family is this what I want most out of my hike or do I maybe want to have more time hiking my own pace um so that's an important thing to reflect on because if I think if it's hindering your experience, you know, making it more negative than positive, then maybe it's not worth it. Um, but, you know, people do make ex- the experience a lot more meaningful, in my opinion. So oftentimes it probably is worth it. What was the biggest surprise for you hiking, having hiked the trail? Hmm. The biggest surprise. I mean, it probably comes back to the trail family. I did not expect at all to be finishing in a group of 11. I, yeah, just had, that was completely out of my realm of thought that, and let alone that a group that big could stick together for, you know, over half the trail and managed to finish together like that to me was I couldn't fathom that I wouldn't have been able to fathom that and so it was a big surprise because you know trail families are big there's always you know a bit of bit of family bickering within (laughs) um you know people have different ideas of what a day should look like and how long breaks should be and um you know which obviously it doesn't end up being a big deal at the end of the day Mm -hmm. but that happens so you never know if well, I guess personally, we, I never knew if we would all finish together, even towards the end, you know, it's like, oh, some people might want to finish a day early because they want to get somewhere else. So it was surprising and I was happily surprised that we, um, yeah, did all finish together as a group. Everybody stuck around for the yoga. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had to we had to help um, Fiddle celebrate her birthday. It was her, <laughs> it was her one wish that we all did yoga on her birthday. And I was like, yes, it was it was incredible. And I wish we did it every day. But that that was the day. And it was funny because we it was another hiker shitless. She was um, hiking around us and happened to stumble upon us <laughs> mid yoga. And was just like, are you guys sleeping or doing yoga? <laughs> we were like, join us. Um, yeah, but. No, 
yoga was a great time. It looks like a great time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd highly recommend. And, you know, you just get this additional feeling of zen throughout a somewhat otherwise maybe chaotic or yeah. mindless day. I know. I think I love, I love most. I think it was Fiddle's comment of, I just got them to be quiet. And then you- <laughs> <laughs> yep. 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 You can, you can imagine, you know, a group that big. It's a yes. lot, a lot of, a lot of opinions, a lot of um, personalities. What was one of your favorite moments on trail? Ooh, favorite moments. Hmm. Or, or one of those moments where you embraced your badass self, so to speak. Ooh. Okay. Gotta think about this. Um. Favorite moments? I think, I mean, okay, so one of the most memorable was definitely um, Whitney. I would say in terms of an on-trail favorite moment, that was just, that just stood out a lot. Other favorite moments would have been along the trail, just going for swims, swimming at, you know, the random lakes. Weren't they cold? Yeah, they were freezing. We swam in one in the Sierra as well, and that one. It was funny because I think I was one of the first to dive in, and I kind of – I didn't react at all, even though it was freezing. And then they thought that it wasn't that cold because I was just like, oh, yeah, it's it's fine. Um, and then I remember I think it was Katana who uh, dived in after me, and he was just like, ah! Like his, uh, the tone of his voice or the pitch was probably raised maybe like 20 octaves or what. <laughs> it was the highest I've ever heard immensely screen um so yeah swim swimming was great I think anytime there was something spontaneous happen like okay guys let's just get to town and do a massive day um those are always the worst at the time but also a lot of fun in terms of a favorite moment a particular moment um it actually happened off trail we had gotten to Ashland in Oregon and we were celebrating Katana and Eleven's birthdays and I embraced my better self by uh going along to karaoke so I'd never done karaoke before let alone because it's very different in New Zealand karaoke means going to a a private room with your friends and singing in that kind of comfort whereas Mm -hmm. karaoke (laughs) in the states is like in a packed bar singing in front of everybody um which I'd never done before in my life and I was like you know what I'm I'm gonna stand up and do I ended up signing up a lot of the people in our group as well and making them do it but so I was like yeah I'm gonna do this I'm gonna really this is gonna be outside of my comfort zone completely non-trail related um but I was you know embracing that that uh that feeling um of uh putting myself out there and yeah sung to the whole bar I'll make a man out of you uh, by uh, the Mulan Mulan soundtrack and jumped up on the bar. And um, yeah, I think, I think I, I think I jumped up on the bar even. I think I nailed it um, to be quite clear. Uh, There's no video uh, evidence, but um, from what I recall, I think uh, I I did it quite the justice. uh, So yeah. Damn. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to check with 11. Was she there with you? Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> all of us were there. <laughs> Not sure how much people remember, but uh, oh, I remember. Where can people follow you uh, and your continuing adventures or find your videos uh, or that kind of stuff? Mm, uh, people can, can 
follow me on YouTube. Um, it's just under my name, Eleanor Osborne. Nothing creative there, but you know. Uh, and my Instagram is also my name, but without the O in my last name. It's kind of confusing. Just Eleanor's born. Um, I also have a website, which I should probably update, which is just my name again, Eleanor Osborne. <laughs> um, yeah, just probably stuff that is less trail related um, and more from my travels, I guess, before heading out on trail um, and experiences that I've had outside of this new chapter of my life. So I just, it begs the question. So why is there no O in your Instagram? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I know that was my, uh, that was my attempt at being creative. No, um, I think it was just because I was like, oh, there's too many vowels, you know, I'll take one out. It's just easier. <laughs> I don't know. Some, someone give me some advice if, 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 I, if you think I need to cha- change that. <laughs> but now you're known as that. So yeah, I'll just leave it. You know, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Is there anything that uh, we haven't talked about that you feel like we should? I can't think of anything. Um, I mean, I guess this. a lot of people who listen to this will be people who are heading out on a trail for maybe the first time or who are thinking about it. Um, and I do get a lot of questions about, you know, how did you film it? How did you capture it? Um, and I think – if I was just going to talk about, you know, give somebody advice about, you know, you're thinking about capturing your journey. I would say, you know, if you're new to filming, don't let that be the main focus. You know, you're out there to experience the trail, um, head out there with gear that you know how to use, be confident in it. And also if you want to make something, have an idea or a concept of something you want to make. So, you're not so strung up on figuring that that out while you're on the trail. It gives you a focus on what you want to capture and can let you focus the rest of the time on just being present and enjoying your time out on the trail. And I noticed you also on your YouTube videos in the description area have now updated it with all of your equipment and and all of that. Yeah, yeah, it's all there. And I'll eventually get around to doing some kind of gear video um as well but yeah in terms of filmmaking that's that's the gear that I took out there it was not it wasn't much at all but you know you make do with what you have do you feel like that got you because you basically had a main camera which was the Sony and then you had the the Osmo Pocket as well do you feel like that kind of covered you in terms of stills and video and night versus day and and all of that Yeah, I think for what I wanted to capture, it definitely covered, yeah, what I was looking to create. When, not if, because when, I'm going to tell myself, when I head out on another trail, I might change things up. But for that, for that experience, that that was perfect for me. So I guess triggering on the when, (laughs) Mm -hmm. what trail is of interest to you at this point? Mm, um still not the TA unfortunately it's a little bit down the list but it's there it's definitely there there I mean there's so many trails I think there are a lot in North America that are very appealing to me um you know the longer ones obviously I don't know when I was on the PCT the AT didn't appeal to me at all but you know it's still there the CDT um the Colorado Trail also looks incredible the GDT also looks amazing um so there's a list it's just 
figuring out my priorities and what one I want to do most, I guess. How you can organize your life around taking that time off. Exactly. And potentially just being able to integrate it into more of my life as opposed to, but yeah, I guess, yeah, taking that time off because it's a long time, right? (laughs) It can range. Particularly if you're coming all the way back over here for it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, my initial plan was um, just walk into Canada and stay there. Um, But uh, (laughs) obviously with a visa, you know, legally, um, but I wasn't quite sorted there. So, you know, you never know. Maybe I'll um, head over to North America and try to stay there for a little bit. We invite you back and the trails are waiting for you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. um, That was actually the main purpose of my pink blazings. You see, I was looking for a potential American husband (laughs) to um, grant me a uh, green card visa. I'll let you know if that works out. Um, Copy that. I hope uh, they are not listening right now. Um. (laughs) (laughs) The the trails are uh, relentless in their calling. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and it's a it's a slippery slope, but one that I am very willing to uh, slide down. <laughs> I'm diverting here. I was going to close it up, but but you said something that just triggered me. Um, okay, <laughs> triggering. Which is, I mean, honestly, that is one of the things that I've thought about in terms of, you know, you do your first trail, and it never ends up being your only trail. It mm-hmm. seems like mm-hmm. it it's a, it's a very as you say slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Did any of that thought process go into your head when you were doing the PCT or it was just a byproduct that was going to be what it was going to be? In terms of um, thinking this is the only trail I'll ever do or thinking, okay, I could see myself continuing this? In terms of seeing yourself continuing this or I guess the the joke that I always kind of have is that it's a little bit like uh, catching the co- a cold. Like you catch it and you just will continue to catch it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely see that. Um, yes. I, I think, yeah. Again, going back to meeting up with heaps, she told me, you know, it, it will ruin your life in the best way possible. <laughs> and I wholeheartedly agree where it, you become addicted to that, I guess, connection to yourself, that version of yourself that you are out on that trail and you long for that relentlessly, as you said. Um, so it's about, you know, bringing that version of yourself to, I guess, regular society, but as well as, you know, if that's a priority that you want in your life, if you can do it without, you know, foregoing your livelihood, then, you know, you should make it happen. And I guess I'm of that mindset currently in this current chapter or time of my life and now you just have to see how to integrate it all exactly Links for Elena's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Elena for sharing her stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. 
If you need a dose of hope, connection, laughter, and trail magic, I highly recommend watching or re-watching It Is The People. I did so myself this week and came away with a heart full and a renewed conviction that the trail and I shall become old friends. I'll see you on the trail. <laughs>